Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at ForumUW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Wittstock, and in today's episode, I speak to Nico Svitek. Nico is former DAAD visiting assistant professor at the Henry M. Jackson School for International Studies and the Department of Political Science at the University of Washington. Uh, Nico is an expert on coalition politics and green parties, and hence he was in high demand after the German elections of 2021, uh, which at the time of this recording were held uh, roughly three weeks ago. But as of yet, a new government has not yet crystallized because the parties are now in coalition talks to form a government. Um, so Nico has been giving countless talks and interviews after, given his a realm of expertise. So I'm very happy uh, that he found the time to discuss these issues here on the Political Economy Forum podcast as well. Um, so currently, many people are looking towards Germany, both as a bulwark of liberal democratic governance, uh, a leader in climate policy, but also because of the far-right populist party AFD, which has gained momentum in recent years, had a very strong first big showing in 2017. And yeah, now the question is, what does the German party system look like? And uh, in what direction will Germany go in the future? So I'm sure you will enjoy my conversation with Nico Svitek. Hello, Nico Svitek. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for having me again. Yes, absolutely. Very happy to have you on. Nico, you are just returning to Germany. We're in luck, in fact, because Germany just held a federal election. So this has been one or two weeks ago, I think, at this point. That's not even true, right? I think it's three weeks ago. So I suppose maybe Americans are a little bit confused. Uh, who won? Yeah, that's always something I had to explain in my classes, that it's very <laughs> different if you have a two-party or multi-party system. So it's it's a lot harder to say uh, who won. Uh, if if not one party has an absolute majority or um, you know captures the office of president, um, but nevertheless, in in the German case, I think we can clearly say that the social democrats are the winners of the election. Um, not even because they have such a strong result, but they kind of have a, had a surprising um, rise in the polls just mm -hmm. leading up to the election. Um, and they kind of outperformed the, the weak polling they had in, in the last couple of years. Um, so they kind of feel as the winner and it looks like they will be able um, to, to form a coalition where the leading candidate, Olaf Scholz, uh, would be the chancellor. So you could say that the Social Democrats uh, won the election. And it's always important um, for the German party system to look at the two major parties, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, because um, often the party that's ahead um, has kind of captured the office of chancellor. Um, uh, not, uh, it, it's kind of not a law, so depending on the outcome of the coalition formation, but that was kind of a big win uh, for the Social Democrats and Olaf Scholz. But you could also look at the Green Party, which 
had its best result in, in the German history, um, close to 15%. Interestingly, it's kind of the opposite to the Social Democrats. They were polling a lot better um, in the last year, uh, even kind of uh, close to the Christian Democrats on a similar level, up to 30% at one point in time. Uh, and so they, even though they got the best result in the history, they kind of feel they lost the election because they didn't realize uh, the, the potential um, mm -hmm. they had. Um, just to round out the picture, what were the uh, percentages for all the parties that that um, passed the 5% threshold? Yeah, so um, we also have the um, AFD, and we can kind of see that they established themselves in the party system. So they managed for the first time in 2017 to enter the Bundestag, the national mm -hmm. parliament, and they kind of have a, had a similar result with about 10% uh, this time. And then we have the liberals, which kind of polled strongly as well, 11.5%. Um, uh, uh, and what's interesting about the, the German electoral system, you have two votes. So you kind of vote for um, a candidate in your district and you vote for a party list. Uh, and the left party um, missed the 5% threshold. If you mm -hmm. look at the total votes, um, the second votes of 4.9%, but because they scored three direct mandates, um, they're still represented in kind of in, in a group size in, in Parliament. So all of their second votes count for uh, for um, the composition of, of the Bundestag. So that's an interesting uh, kind of feature of, of the German electoral system. Um, but so that's kind of the um, kind of the landscape. And I mean, the, the Christian Democrats um, had kind of their worst result with about 20 3%. So they're kind of behind the Social Democrats, which w was kind of an upset for the party. And you could see that they that already triggered quite some discussions inside of the party. Um, how could we lose, especially because Angela Merkel, uh, the, the mm -hmm. chancellor who's a member of the Christian Democratic Party, was very popular until the end. Um, right. And so the question is, what went wrong? Why, um, why couldn't we uh, realize the popularity the outgoing chancellor has in, in this election. Maybe speak a little bit more to uh, the ongoing coalition talks. You mentioned that given the fact that no party has captured an absolute majority and no party is going to be able to govern by themselves, uh, meaning that they have to uh, form a coalition with another party. How are those talks progressing? What are the uh, potential coalitions that might be viable? Yeah, so this is a truly interesting situation and and uh, I did quite some research on coalition formation in in Germany and it's a, it's a unique situation because typically um, you had one of the two major call them catch all parties Christian Democrats or social Democrats that would pick one of the smaller mm -hmm. uh, parties either the liberals or the greens uh, to form a government and then you'd always have kind of the grand coalition as an alliance of the two major parties as kind of an emergency or stopgap um, mm -hmm. solution if if no other option would work out. Um, and already in, in the last uh, federal election 2017, we saw um, preliminary talks, the Christian Democrats with the Liberals and the Greens, which ultimately failed. And so there was another grand coalition. Um, but this time we'll probably have the first three-party uh, coalition uh, mm -hmm. on, on national level. So the Social Democrats are talking with the Liberals and the Greens about a so-called traffic light coalition. Um, and so that would be uh, new for the German coalition landscape. And the Grand Coalition is still an option because 
the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats command a majority, but it's not a very popular option. And I think both parties want to avoid this option. Um, and so it does look like we'll we'll have for the first time uh, a three-party coalition. Um, the the parties just finished the preliminary talks, so there's a 12-page paper where they kind of detailed um, or outlined the goals they have as a coalition. And so now they kind of start the more formal uh, coalition talks where they um, have working groups and really try to work out um, the government program for the next four years. Um, but it's still kind of freestyle bargaining. So there are no official rules. Um, the only endpoint is kind of that you need that majority to elect a chancellor uh, in, right. in the Bundestag, in the parliament at the end. But there are kind of no deadlines or other formal requirements for the, for the talk. So that's something we'll see in the, in the coming weeks. And kind of the informal goal is to finish um, talks before Christmas. So that's kind of the, what they stated. Um, and it, of course, it's more difficult because you're kind of missing the routines uh, for three parties. How do you um, right. talk with, with each other? Um, you know, what are the, uh, the potential conflicts? And of course, the conflicts loom a little larger because it's three parties that have to find mm -hmm. an agreement and not two parties as we've seen it before. Right. So does that mean that the CDU is kind of um, standing outside and doesn't really have any uh, options to, to form a coalition with any of these parties? Or uh, what is that situation looking like? Yeah. So before the election, there were kind of three feasible three-party uh, coalitions. Mm -hmm. So what we see now is one, that's the Social Democrats talking with the Greens and the Liberals. But there was also talk about that the Christian Democrats could form a government with the Greens and Liberals. Right. Um, and also there would have been the option of a um, kind of a left government, the Social Democrats, the Greens and the left party. But mm. because of the weak um, result of the left party that was taken off the table. And so you had these two options. But because the Christian Democrats kind of had this stigma of losing the election, um, they the party didn't feel strong enough or bold enough to try this tryout um uh, a three, three, a, a novel three-party right. uh, coalition, and you could see that it, within the party there were kind of competing groups. So, so Armin Laschet, the chancellor candidate, the Christian Democratic chancellor candidate, said he wants, he still wanted to try mm -hmm. to have preliminary talks uh, about forming uh, a coalition. But uh, Markus Söder from Bavaria, prime minister and head of the um, Christian uh, Social Democratic uh, CSU, um, the, the kind of the Christian counterpart, uh, the Bavarian counterpart of the mm -hmm. um, Christian Democratic Union, um, said, "We it's clear we lost the election, so we're not in a position to form uh, a right. government. And so you could see this already mirrors um, kind of different interpretations of what that loss meant. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's still an option, so we still don't know if if the coalition talks fail, that we might have a second round where liberals and greens talk to the Christian Democrats, maybe under uh, with the new leadership, and still the grand coalition is still an option, kind of lingering in the background if if something goes wrong. But because they successfully finished the preliminary talks, it looks like they're on track to to form that traffic light coalition. So much has been made about the uh, of the fact that Angela Merkel is um, leaving politics, if you will. She's uh, no longer going to be part of, or the, at least sort of the governing part of the Christian Democratic Party. 
To, to what extent is this already a paradigm shift in, in German politics at this point? We're, we're seeing, as you're, as you're describing, uh, coalition talks that seem to indicate that German politics is going to go in quite significantly different direction uh, in terms of who the governing players are, but also what ultimately their policy uh, ideas are. Could you speculate for us a little bit as to, to what this means for, for Germany going forward? Yeah, so I mean, it it is um, a big change because I mean, there's there's a whole generation of you know the voters who w voted for the first time never seen another chancellor than than Angela yeah. Merkel. So uh, and and there's interesting tables or figures where you can see Angela Merkel's tenure and then all the different heads of state and government um, she <laughs> yeah. met in in uh, uh, her time. So and you can see there there are no ter term limits in Germany. So those 16 years, I mean, it's a very long time, especially mm. in in politics. So it is um, a, a big change, but I, I would argue more on a symbolic level mm -hmm. because in the end, um, Olaf Scholz, who's the, the potential contender to to succeed her in that office, he even kind of ran on the platform. I was a finance minister in Merkel's cabinet, and um, you know, I I'm, I pretty much have the same policies, or I will continue to govern as Angela uh, Merkel. And he even kind of mimicked her uh, rhombus she would always do. And so <laughs> it 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 kind of was a campaign saying, you know, don't you don't need to fear that big change we will experience and i'm kind of the the one who will just continue what what merkel did in in style but also in in policy substance and um i mean the the social democrats uh, were member of the grand coalition so they were governing before so they i think they kind of ran on the platform to provide stability and i think that that was very attractive um with the voters uh on the one hand, I think because the other candidates weren't as strong. Um, I mean, I mean, Laschet wasn't a, a, a very popular and strong candidate, and there were conflicts within the party. Um, and Annalena Baerbock, the for the first time, the Greens presented a chancellor candidate because they were doing so strongly in in the polls. Um, but then, kind of, you know, just went down and down. And so um, he was kind of the Olaf Scholz was kind of the natural um, choice. Um, and he uh, kind of, I think, tried to say, you know, we, we have big transformations coming up, looking at, at policy. Um, we, uh, th there was a lot of debt that the state took up um, to kind of combat the, the corona pandemic. Uh, and of course, there's climate change as, as a very salient issue. So, you know, there's a lot of um, transformation we have to um, to do to combat climate change. And I can do it in a way that, um, you know, there's not too much suffering or that you don't have, we don't need um, uh, that many changes. Uh, and, and I think that was a very successful message in kind of combining this, I understand there's need to change, but also I want to do it in a way without too much disruption of daily life or, or style of living in, in Germany. To what extent was this a COVID election? Uh, did uh, in in Germany, right? It's called Corona pandemic, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I think it was called that for a moment early on in the US, but then we settled on COVID for some reason. But yeah, so in Germany, to what extent did the pandemic crowd out other policy uh, issues? And what what else was on on people's mind in in this election? What did people? Uh, what what drove people's choices? I suppose. Yeah, that was the big unknown, kind of you know not knowing beforehand if if that would kind of 
sway voters in a certain direction or kind of upset, uh, you know, some uh, uh, loyalties to parties uh, you could kind of count on. But um, there wasn't, um, I, I would argue, there wasn't that much uh, change or effects on the election. Um, so the the vaccination uh, strategy, it took a little longer than in, in the US, but Germany kind of achieved high levels of, of uh, vaccinations. Um, and there wasn't really a, a fourth wave that was predicted. So the um, uh, the COVID pandemic didn't even have that high of a saliency. So it was climate uh, that was a topic. There was uh, a lot of talk about rent and housing, um, uh, about questions about debt and um, fiscal policy. Um, but the the pandemic didn't play that big of a role. In preparing the election, there was a lot of talk and um, the parties had digital congresses, um, mm. you know, online to kind of uh, organize uh, the, the lists and, and the candidates. But in the end, and we did see a, a really high number of absentee ballots. So a lot of people decided to kind of cast their ballot beforehand, so to not have to go to the polls. Um, but I think in the end, uh, the result is not in a way affected um, by this p pandemic and already signaled kind of a, a return to normal. And, and the result can very well be explained by factors looking at the parties and the campaigns and kind of um, the issues that that motivated and, and drove uh, voters. Moving over to the, uh, you mentioned the AFD, the uh, German far-right party, as well as the uh, the left party, which I don't know, is, is, is variously categorized as a radical left party or far-left party or even populist left-wing party. I mean, those are parties that, that people are very interested in in general, especially in the German context. But um, so you mentioned that uh, the left did not fare very well, significantly um, underperformed relative to the previous election, whereas the AFD seems to be now a part of the, the German federal um, party system. But is it still the same party as in 2017 or did they focus on different uh, policy issues in this election? Yeah, you kind of looking at the result of the AFD and the left, you can kind of see still that there's kind of a divide between west and east so the right. the afd um did a lot better uh in in the east but also in the east they lost votes so even though they established on the 10 established themselves on the 10 percent level um they they lost votes so um you can see that you know there wasn't a lot of talk about asylum policies or migration and that's something that typically drove voters um to to the afd um and th they kind of tried some groups in the party tried to embrace the protests against lockdown measures uh, against mm -hmm. uh, uh against the pandemic so um, but that wasn't very successful and because the pandemic didn't play such a big role um, they, they didn't have that mobilizing theme they had in, in the last election. So you could say they kind of, uh, they shed a lot of their protest voters and now they're kind of at that um, stable substance of uh, voters that formed a loyalty to the party and that, that sticked with the party. But you could also see that they did move more to the right. Um, mm -hmm. So the the one of the party leaders, uh, Jörg Meuthen, just declared after the election that he will not run again for party leader. And he was uh, kind of seen as more moderate. He still is kind of the national conservative wing uh, of the party. Uh, but there's an even more e 
extremist uh, radical right wing that has kind of an overlap to right extremist groups. Um, so and 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 that wing is is getting stronger uh, in the party specifically because the result is kind of tilted to the East German uh, states. Uh, but what's also interesting to see is that they're not equally strong in Eastern Germany. So they have kind of strongholds in um, Thuringia in Saxony, uh, but there were also um, regional elections in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern and in Berlin. And um, they didn't really uh, uh, do well in, in those elections. So it's it's not just an East-West thing, but it's also a, a regional thing. Um, and so they, uh, they, we can assume that they probably will sh that we probably will radicalize uh, after the election, and that we'll see some infighting in the party about kind of the the strategy forward. Because uh, even there was this um, interesting press conference right after the election, where Moyton kind of as party leader said, "This is a disappointing result," and the leading candidates Weidel and Kropala said, "This is a really good result." So you could, <laughs> on full display, you could see that the party is you know, um, uh, split ab about the interpretation of, of the election results. So um, I think that's kind of going to be interesting to see, will they further radicalize, which is the the the, the, um, the most likely outcome, um, or will they even maybe split that some of the more moderate groups might um, might leave the party? Interesting. What about the, uh, the left, the um, Die Linke? Uh, to the German so far left party, how come they uh, performed so or underperformed relative to the last election? Yeah, so um, I think the, the the left party always capitalized on on that East German sentiment. So I mean, they're the successive party of the former um, East German state party SED, um, and so they were always kind of the party voicing concerns of of the marginalized uh, East Germans, and so they should they. Uh, shed some of that to the AFD that kind of really established itself in some regions in, in Eastern Germany. Um, and I mean, they, I think they lost a lot of voters to the Social Democrats as well, um, uh, who kind of offered the option of a Social Democratic Chancellor. Um, as you could see, you know, they, they're polling closer with the Christian Democrats. It was a real option that your vote could decide about the office of Chancellor. And I think that kind of drove some of the more center-left voters uh, to to the um, social democrats, um, and so the, uh, the 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 left was also kind of giving mixed signals about if it's willing to enter uh, a three party coalition, the social democrat green left coalition, and so they uh, it was kind of unclear for a voter if they cast their vote for the left party. Um, what will truly happen? Uh, will they enter government? And I think the the voters are kind of split if the party should stick to a more fundamental opposition stance or kind of be open to govern on national level. They do govern in the states, um, so they already kind of shed some of the radicalism there. Um, but that was kind of still of an open question. I think with that horse race at the end between the uh, between Laschet and Scholz, some voters, I think, pivoted to, to the Social Democrats to um, increase the likelihood that there might be a, a, a center-left Social Democratic Chancellor. Right, that makes sense. I'm curious about another thing that, um, yeah, I hope is of interest, <laughs> uh, which is that um, the the Liberal Party, uh, the the FDP, is very socially liberal, but but ultimately a free market kind of party. 
I think uh, that that's the easiest way for an American to understand what they're all about. This party was decimated after the uh, European, especially after the sort of great financial crisis in 2008, but all during the sovereign debt crises, uh, crises really, that, that, that sort of shook Europe into the 2010s, the party was really not doing very well. Um, because it was deemed to be associated with globalization or the idea that free or free market government governance, I suppose, um, especially among young people, it seemed that it was almost a joke to, to vote for, for for the FDP. Curiously, now they're they've definitely recovered, and um, some analyses that seem to suggest that the party was doing especially well with young people. Curiously enough. So to what extent uh, or, or how do you interpret what's going on? Because what I've heard is that people are arguing, oh, you know, young people are rejecting all these um, state imposed mandates relating to to uh, the pandemic, for example, and these big government solutions to things like climate change. What they really want is freedom. Hence, they're going with the liberals. Yeah, that's that's a very uh, accurate description. And it is kind of surprising. Uh, I mean, the Greens are always strong with um, young cohorts. Um, mm -hmm. And the Liberals um, typically aren't that bad with younger voters. But what you could see this election is that they're kind of on par with the Greens, with the first and young voters. Uh, and they kind of even um, lost with older voters. So um, they kind of, they even became a, a younger um, party, if, if you look at the, the voter profile, and that is kind of surprising. Um, I think one explanation is that the party was critical of, of lockdown measures, but kind of within the consensus and saying, um, mm. you know, we're, we're a human rights party and, and the basic rights cannot be taken away and only in very specific situations. And we have to be very careful and, and hand back those right, rights right away if, um, if the situation gets better. And I think, um, you know, the young voters in, in school or, or they experience a lot of this, um, measures. And, uh, also I've, I've read a, an analysis that, that says, you know, they experienced a lot that Germany is lagging in um, digital technology. So a lot of right. schools didn't have Wi-Fi, weren't equipped with computers or tablets. So if you turn to homeschooling and you don't have the equipment, you kind of get frustrated. And so the big part of the liberal election campaign was digitalization and to invest mm. more in digital infrastructure. And I think that's something that was appealing to kind of a digital native generation uh, as well. But those are kind of all um, uh, ad hoc explanations. Yeah. It's interesting to see that exactly what you said, if you look at the, the first paper after the preliminary talks, um, that's something I think the, the three parties try to stress. Um, as kind of a common ground, because you know the kind of on a on a social economic dimension, the 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 distance is a lot larger than it is on social cultural um, aspects. So mm -hmm. you know they can agree on a modernization of the state, uh, the infrastructure, digitalization, um, and it's it's a lot harder if you look at kind of material questions of taxation or debt. Mm. Um, and so that's something that's going to be interesting to see how those different parties probably try to stress or prioritize certain policy areas where there's a larger overlap, as you said, in, in, in a social liberal dimension, social cultural dimension. Um, uh, for instance, uh, they, they talk about LGBTQ, transgender rights, and that's something, you know, where, where it's a lot easier for those parties to come together than in questions of uh, redistribution or taxation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So going forward, what, what can we expect from Germany, uh, both domestically and internationally, if, if this policy shift uh, that, that seems to be 
uh, on the horizon is actually happening, that it's a shift, um, maybe to summarize, right, towards um, significantly more socially, but also economically more progressive parties, right, like the, the Social Democratic Party, which has been in government in in grand coalition with the Christian Democrats, but also uh, never really being able to, to, to drive policy as much as they would like to. Um, so social democrats possibly um, in a coalition with uh, the liberals and the green party uh, of germany w w what would that look like yeah probably i mean there's there's going to be a lot of continuity uh, i guess because i mean if you have three parties you have more veto players and uh, especially with kind of the the liberals jumping the camp divide to join uh, social democrats and greens uh, I think means a, mod, a lot more stabilization of the status quo. Um, and then, like I said, with uh, Olaf Scholz kind of um, emphasizing his kind of yeah. uh, role as a successor of uh, Angela Merkel um, means that that I think it's it's going to be a very stable platform kind of continuing uh, the, the legacy of, of Angela Merkel. Um, it's interesting because I think that there's probably a shift. Um, we've seen now that that the state um, that Germany spent a lot of money, took up a lot of debt to, to combat Corona and, and the um, economic consequences. Uh, and I think under that um, label, there's still some more borrowing they can do um, because they already in that preliminary paper agreed uh, to kind of respect the um, uh, the debt break uh, that's in in the basic law, and also um, to not raise taxes. So you know, it seems like the liberals, with a kind of very conservative fiscal policy, uh, were successful. Um, but I think that's something kind of looking to the future, and that now kind of labeling it as a crisis, as as an extraordinary uh, moment, they kind of have the legitimacy to spend more money or take up money. Um, to to kind of trigger changes, a transformation, and then kind of try to return to a normal that kind of the liberals uh, advocate for. Um, but I think it's it's a very centrist uh, government, and you could see that especially the Greens, who do have a, a strong left faction, with the um, kind of looking at at having the option of getting uh, the chancellor, even moderated themselves even more. Um, so in, in the TV debates before the election, it was hard to tell there were only gradual differences between the three candidates. So you, you could see that even the Greens aren't as radical anymore and kind of, you know, part of that, that centrist uh, configuration. And they're all, I mean, they're all very pro-European. Um, so, uh, you know, they probably will continue the, um, the path of European integration. Uh, I mean, the Greens are, are more critical of uh, authoritarian leaders um, in, in Russia, but also in, in Poland and Hungary. So uh, we might assume that they kind of uh, bolster the strategy that Ursula von der Leyen is now um, trying to uh, pursue against kind of backsliding, democratic backsliding in Poland and, and Hungary. Um, but it's it's not in, in no way uh, going to be a, a radical change, but rather, uh, I think, a very stringent continuation of, of what we've seen so far of Germany uh, in, in Europe and, and on, on the world stage. Interesting. So you don't expect there to be big changes in climate policy either? 
I mean, that's, I think, the, the only part where we'll probably um, see more ambitious goals, because, I mean, that's kind of what, what the Greens uh, mm. have to get out of the coalition negotiations. Um, but I think it's it's still going to be um, a matter of degree. So the, the, in, the, in the first paper, there was a talk of a little earlier um, phasing out of uh, coal energy uh, production. Um, and of course, they, they need that for, for their base, but it's always talk about kind of uh, pursuing that um, 1.5 degree path. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of said on, inter, you know, on international conferences, right. the European Union has a, has a um, plan to address this. So it's kind of all in the already existing framework. And of course, Germany wants to be a climate leader um, and, you know, maybe change the um, mobility earlier to electronic vehicles. Uh, but it's still, I think, rather... Um, a change of degree and the, the Greens as a party can always point to the other parties as veto players. I mean, the Social Democrats, uh, you know, are um, strongly supported by by coal miners. So for them, it's always difficult yeah. uh, to to be more active in, in this regard. Um, so we'll probably see a bit more ambitious agenda, but they're kind of breaks on, on what the new government um, can can do. Ultimately, the, the impression is that uh, the German party system, there's a lot of um, change in terms of who the players are and, and, and how strong they are relative to each other. But you don't expect there to be much change in fundamental policy at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's relatively moderated, which um, I, I remember, uh, you know, four years ago with this very strong showing of the AFD, there was a lot of uh, concern that this uh, party system would... Uh, fracture or further polarize or radicalize uh, to to what extent is that still a legitimate worry or because right now I would get the impression at least from what you're saying that this doesn't seem to have materialized yeah probably not in this election because i think you you have the responsiveness of the party to kind of act on the changes so there are uh, fundamental mm -hmm. changes in the party system, so kind of the shrinking of the two dominant forces, yeah. and uh, it's more, you know, kind of looking like a Dutch party system where you have three or four parties of similar size that kind of have to build a government, and so this is probably the first time this is going to happen. Um, so there are fundamental changes, but the parties are responsive in a way um, to act on this and kind of form a new government if if right. they are able to form. We'll, we'll mm -hmm. see, because the last time when they tried... It, it ended up in a grand coalition and that kind of led to that further polarization because if you have that strong coalition in the middle, there's not a lot the voters can do if they're, right. um, you know, uh, not satisfied with the government. So they have to go to the fringes to kind of exert pressure on, on the governing parties. And even now it's only... Uh, half of a change in power because one of the parties that governed before <laughs> yeah. is staying in power, right? So it's it's just a gradual um, change. And so we'll see how successful this new three-party um, alliance, which kind of signals a new normal, will probably have three or four-party uh, coalitions now. And it, it remains to be seen if they're kind of stable and they're able to, to kind of fulfill the pledges they put in the, the coalition agreement. Um, and it if they're not successful, that might 
again strengthen uh, the the fringes. But now we've seen that um, I mean the, the the left party who has some left extremist groups in in the party did poorly, and and the AFD lost across uh, the board, even though they have their kind of regional strongholds. Um, so it, the parties of of the pragmatic center, um, mm -hmm. you know, did did the best, um, and that kind of. Uh, cushions that that change um, in the party right. system. One last point. I mean, what we'll see is what, what's going to going to be interesting is the next regional elections. Because in in Eastern Germany, in some of the states, the AfD is really strong and might come up the strongest party. And on regional level, that really makes government formation very difficult because the only majority you might have is all parties against the AfD or the left. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so. Mm -hmm. And, and those all-party coalitions typically are not very popular with the voters because then you don't, you don't really have any options to right. change the government, right? So that's going to be the puzzle for Thuringia, for Saxony. How do you deal with a very strong regional AFD force, especially if we say it radicalizes after the election, if some of the more... Um, center-right or right, uh, uh, national conservative right groups leave the party and it, it even becomes more radical. Um, and I mean, you know, Germany with its specific history, uh, it, it's always very difficult to have a party that kind of has a fluid uh, border kind of to the far right and, and right extremists. So that's something we, we have to um, be, be careful about. Absolutely. But at the same time, a return or strengthening of the pragmatic center is definitely something that makes me very optimistic about the future of the German uh, party That's system. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, Nico Svitek, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great conversation. You're always welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Wichdok. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback and if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.